The Star Jelly Files, Episode 10, Stowaways in 1947. Happy Podcast Day, everyone! Before I turn things over to Astra, just a quick reminder that the Star Jelly Files podcast store is now live. To check out our selection of shirts and accessories, visit us at www.starjellyfiles.com and click on our link for the store at the top of the page. Now, onward to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Star Jelly Files. Last week, we heard from Hum about Bert and his visit to the Gate of Dragons, and we found out that Fall's daughter is there holding the dragons hostage. At least, I think that is what Hum was implying. The fact that Fall's daughter was there, and that Al said she was working with Chester, is just hearsay. It could just be that the dragons decided to help Chester on their own, but I will leave it to you to decide if you believe Hum's story or not. This week, I am sharing an unexpected letter from an unexpected source. As it turns out, Opal stowed away and followed Hum and Bert to the Gate of Dragons. This letter is her account of how she got there and what happened next to Hum and Bert. Opal's letter arrived to me in the care of another beacon and was written on light yellow paper adorned with lilac blossoms. I will be honest that I was not completely surprised by what was included in Opal's letter. I have thought that she has been adventuring more than Bert and Hum wanted to give her credit for. That, or they have been ignoring her adventures in hopes that they could let her continue without notice. I think Opal's adventures are a secret that everyone already knows and chooses to ignore. Letter from Opal about herself and her rescue mission to the Gate of Dragons. Hi Astra, I don't think you will be surprised to receive this letter from me. You and I both know that my involvement over my lifetime in Bert's assignments has been significant, even if no one has decided to talk about it yet. I have decided to write to you for two reasons. The first is that Bert and Hum think my perspective is important in the matter concerning their capture. I saw things they didn't, and they want you to have my first-hand account. The second reason is I think it is time you and I make a decision that we have been delaying. I imagine your first question for me is how I even got to the Gate of Dragons unnoticed. I am going to start my letter to you there. The short answer is that I wasn't unnoticed. My trip was planned from the moment I realized that everyone would be going off-world into a dangerous situation. I wanted to help, so I found the means to do so. How did I do that, you ask? Well, I called an old friend that I met in 1947. Before I go there, though... I should say that I have been interacting with what us humans call the supernatural my entire life. It all started when I was very young, when I was about 12 years old. I watched lights fly between the stars above my childhood home. I would sneak out of my bedroom in the night and make my way into the wheat fields that made up my family's farmland. I would sneak my way through the tall grass and find my way to my stargazing spot in the center of the fields where no one would see me. There sat a large flat rock that reached above the wheat that was reaching towards the sky. I would lay on this rock and watch the stars. This was well before the time where electric lights and light pollution took over the world. The stars were always bright and clear, which made it easy for me to spot the many ships that danced across the sky, and after some years started finding their way down to our farm. It was also a quiet spot for me to meet those visitors that no one else knew about. I am still not sure why they chose my childhood home as a rest stop, or why they chose to talk to me. It didn't matter to me, though. I knew from that moment I saw that first ship floating down towards me that I wanted to know everything about it. About them. 
I spent years traveling, researching, talking to others about their experiences, until eventually I stumbled across a new friend that seemed to know more than anyone else. Well, she never actually told me anything, but I could tell she knew more. It was the way she talked about the paranormal, not what she said about it. When I was 24, and well past the age when everyone thought I should be married and settled down, I was hiking through a New England forest looking for Bigfoot when Bert appeared out of what seemed like nowhere. She talked to me a while, while subtly moving me out of the deep forest I was walking through and back towards the paths typically wandered by hikers. From that point forward, we were fast friends, and eventually I learned who she really was. As you can guess, this also meant that I began asking her every question that popped into my head and following her on most of her journeys. It was during one of these missions, as she called them, that I met the being who gave me a ride to the Gate of Dragons. Like I said, it was in 1947. Bert had been called in to investigate and assist the victims of an accidental UFO crash to help ensure that no being was captured and the secret of life beyond Earth was kept safe. She asked me to go with her to help deal with the humans that might inadvertently get in the way of what we were trying to do. I think you know, as will your listeners, Astra, that we were not terribly successful in that mission. We were too late getting there to stop all the commotion that happened that July, and the backup Bert requested wasn't prepared for the attendance of so many cameras. It was so much easier in the years before to protect everyone involved when no one could take a picture of what they had seen. Before cameras, we could talk to the humans that were there and help them to understand what they had seen before they were rushing away to get likes or views. That way, they could ask questions, we could make introductions if they were interested, and in most cases, everyone would either become friends because they were so interested in what had happened, or would at least decide to walk away and choose not to cause harm to those who had not harmed them. Now, and in 47, they could just take a picture and post it for others to see before we had a chance to have a conversation about anything. As you know, most UFO crashes are not intentional. They are accidents with victims that need help. So we always tried to help them the best we could. And once the human witnesses realized these other beings needed help, most would want to help as well. And yes, I know your Earth listeners are now asking themselves about abductions and possible evil aliens. My short answer to you is that every world has small parts of their civilization that prefers to cause chaos. Other worlds, Bert and our team, do our best to keep those beings away from Earth since we have not made it to the stars yet. For the most part, we succeed, especially as those worlds mature and become less violent over time. Just like Earth, other worlds change, and more often than not, become more peaceful with time. But in the past, there have been a few that have snuck through. Someday soon, I will write a longer letter about this topic for those on Earth who want to understand more. But for now, all you need to know, really, is that Bert and I went to Roswell to help the victims of a crash if we could. And when Hum got there first, there was little he could do since the cameras were already there. The mission ended up being far more undercover than in the past. I was 48 years old and found it easy to sneak where I needed to go, disguised as a nurse that was providing aid. Hum was off cleaning up wreckage that had not yet been found by the humans, there was lots of it, and Bert and I were to find those that had been taken from the ships. Bert and I were able to rescue a few, but not everyone that day. It ultimately took us years to collect everything that needed collecting, but we saved those we could and brought them back to Hum's ship. It was then that I met my new friend. While Bert and Hum dealt with logistics and healing, I spent my time talking to Fred and establishing a new pen pal relationship. From that day forward, Fred and I corresponded frequently. I loved hearing about the worlds he was visiting with the Beacons and the universal events that were unfolding. 
He loved hearing about Earth in the mundane to me life. So when I stood outside Bert's living room window, listening to her and the other beacons argue about what they should do to stop Chester, I contacted Fred and told him I needed a ride. I had a gut feeling that when Bert went to find Al, that something would not be okay. I packed my bag, Fred picked me up first, and then picked up Bert without telling her I was on board. Astra, I am sure that you are also wondering why Fred did not bother to tell Bert and Hum I was there in the end. Again, the simple answer is we both thought the beacons were in danger, and I might be able to keep them safe if I stayed hidden. I listened as Bert and Hum argued about what should be done about Fall's daughter being held captive. I watched as Bert attempted to gain access to Al's home, and then as Bert and Al proceeded to bury Hum alive. It was at that moment that Fred and I decided I should sneak into Al's home and see if I could help. As I watched Bert and Al begin to bury Hum, I snuck out the ship's side door and made my way not to Al's front door, but towards the cliffs that danced their way around the ocean water. It wasn't until I was standing on the red dirt of the ocean cliffs, watching as purple lightning broke across the sky above me, that I decided I should have brought the second pair of roller skates. The bright green wheeled ones that were slung over my shoulder would make a nice tribute if I happened to run across another dragon besides Al, which I thought was likely. But nice enough? That was the question that was bothering me. Worst case scenario, I figured I could always give the dragons one of my earrings. They may not notice they were just costume jewelry. Or maybe the fact they were from Earth would make them an interesting enough item that they would also accept it. I made my way across the cliffs closest to the graveyard and began to hear a bubbling of voices floating down from the stars. The whispers that follow the beacons, and me since I was a child, had either followed us or been waiting for us to arrive. For months they had been pestering me. I mostly ignored them, but that night I couldn't. What are you doing here, Opal? You are a little far from home, they whispered down to me. I glared up briefly at the sky and said under my breath, Do your job. Stop lying and tell me who else is here. Help me save Burton Hum, or leave me alone. I have suspected that their job is to help the beacons. I still think that is the case, but they never confirm that any time I talk to them. That didn't stop me from calling them out on it whenever I could. Laughter drifted down from the stars and settled around me. We aren't lying. You just haven't been listening. You're too stubborn. Who are you to tell us what our job is? Do your job. We told you someone was waiting to see you. You just took too long to get here, the whispers said. They didn't have anything further to say after that. I moved forward without their help. Bert and Al had stopped digging, and Al was leaning in close to where I presumed Hum was laying beneath the sand. I had never seen Al in his non-human form. His large, deep yellow eyes and the black and green scales had not surprised me when he had taken Hum off the train. For the most part, he looked like a storybook version of a dragon on Earth. What was surprising to me was how his scales looked like they were covered in glitter and almost glowed under the moonlight, like a glow-in-the-dark t-shirt. I hadn't realized he was bioluminescent, but that realization did make my life easier. Assuming others from his world would also glow in the dark, I could tell Al was the only dragon out and about that night, so I felt more confident that I could continue forward without being caught. I turned away from them, assuming Bert would keep Hum safe for at least a little while, and made my way towards one of the tall stone windows that sat near the cliffs. I was hoping to sneak inside and see who else might be involved in making the dragons behave the way they were. I did not believe they would kidnap anyone. I thought Chester was inside somewhere, and I wanted to confront him. He had no idea who I was, so I would have the element of surprise, likely enough to get some answers and to buy Bert and Hum some time to take other actions. I climbed towards the window. They didn't have glass or anything in place. 
I assumed because they didn't have any concerns about insects, and I placed my foot up on the ledge. There was a snap of a branch behind me as someone approached the window I was now perched on. I spun around to face the possible danger, half thinking that it was the whispers that had decided to manifest into physical form. It wasn't them. I don't think it was them. It didn't feel like them. There was a woman standing a few feet away from me holding what looked like a sledgehammer, but with a much longer handle that was as tall as she was. She was about my height and was dressed exactly as I was. Jeans, a flannel shirt, and black sneakers. She had even gone as far as to copy my hairstyle. Her gray hair braided and draped over her shoulder. That was where the similarity stopped, though. She did not look human. Her features and forms were not solid. They shifted and moved as if they were barely held together, and you could see the occasional spark of what looked like electricity appear across her purple skin. I knew then that I was probably seeing Fall's daughter. She had just come down from the sky. Both came from a world made of electricity and light. She looked like maybe that was the world she could come from. That, or she was a dragon in disguise, but I doubted that based on the look she was giving me. I think she was trying to figure out what I was. A dragon would know what and probably who I was because of Al. She was also trying to lull me into a sense of comfort by dressing like me. That wasn't working. It was creeping me out. I decided to act like I was supposed to be there and see how it played out. My goal, after all, was to find Chester. I thought she might be able to take me there. So I asked her what she was doing there, and that seemed to cause her to pause. She was smiling at me. The sledgehammer she was holding was dripping wet and was detailed with intricate carvings from top to bottom. Before she had a chance to use it, I decided to make a bold move since she wasn't talking. I was in trouble either way. I reached out slowly to take the hammer from her hand as if I had every right to. She didn't try to resist me. She simply handed the hammer to me. It was cold and began to vibrate as soon as my fingers grasped the metal handle, so much so that I could barely hold on to it. That was when she decided to speak to me. She took a step towards me and said, Well, I guess you must be Al's friend Opal. Only a human would be bold enough to just grab a weapon from me without thinking of the consequences. I didn't answer. I didn't really have anything to say. She took another step towards me and continued, Let me be brief. I understand you want to travel. I can make that happen. Your choice. You help me, and you can travel with me. You don't help me. I will remove you from this world with your friends that think I don't know what they're up to while pretending to bury hum. If I were you, I would work with me. You can even teach your dragon friends how to use those roller skates. It's not like I can teach them. That answered the questions I had about her. That Al and now Bert and Hum would have about her. She was not a friend. She was working with Chester to destroy worlds. Simple as that. I didn't answer her, and she was momentarily distracted as another form walked into view from around the edge of the stone wall. A tall man with skin that was crisscrossed this way and that as if it was made of copper wires that reflected and shined in the moonlight. His hair was a bright blue that hung to his shoulders, and his soft green eyes were staring directly at me. He said, Opal, nice to meet you. I see that you have heard the job offer from Tempest. Well, that is the human name she has picked out for her next trip anyway. The one we hope you will take with her. She would very much like to meet my sister Clara, and I think you can help with that. I decided being bold worked once, so I would try it again. I turned to face the woman. Tempest, why would you help the beacon that destroyed you and your father's world? That seems like a poor decision, I said. Her and Chester seemed taken aback. 
I don't think they expected me to be, well, me. Who was to say I didn't help Chester back then? Tempest said with a shrug. I realized in that moment, I wasn't likely to get answers out of either of them. They were pretending to want to work with me, but the reality was they would make me work with them. They were just hoping I was starstruck enough by my journey to agree on my own. I wasn't starstruck. I had no illusions about how dangerous Chester could be based on the stories Clara told me. And my guess was that Tempest was even more dangerous than him. I made a split decision and decided to try and run back to Fred. I dropped the weapon I had taken from Tempest and ran. Nothing fancy, just a sprint down towards the graveyard and towards Bert, Hum, and Al. I made it down the hill before they tried to come after me. I think they were probably surprised that someone who looked as old as I did could move so fast. What they didn't know was that I still jogged every morning. I didn't look back after that, just kept going, my heart racing in my chest as I focused on my destination. I made it as far as Hum's fake grave before I tripped and fell to my knees in the sand. Al and Bert had seen me coming down the hill and had taken action based on me. They didn't bother to wait and see why I was being chased, didn't bother to pretend any longer that they were there to bury a friend. They had realized that plan had never actually worked. Al pulled Hum out of the sand and all four of us quickly turned and headed towards Fred, who had already opened his door for us to jump on board. I had worked with Fred before I had disembarked earlier to reconfigure a car of the ship for Al to fit in, so luckily everything was ready to go. It was easier than it should have been for the four of us to make it back to Fred and jump on board. When I turned around to see how close Chester and Tempest were behind us, I realized why we had gotten away so easily. A few of the very large ocean creatures that had observed our situation had grabbed them and dragged them into the water, preventing them from following us to our escape. I could also now see the other glowing dragons along the water's edge. I waved to them to come join us, but they shook their heads at me, declining the offer. I asked Al about this on our journey back to Earth, and he said that his council members and he had decided that some of them would pretend to help Tempest and Chester so they could stay behind and protect the ocean creatures that their kind had always watched over. Those three had volunteered to stay and would contact Al with updates when they could. Even with all of this, though, I still think that we got away too easily. I think we were supposed to get away for some reason. Bert thinks it is because Chester and Tempest were not ready to fight, not strong enough yet. Hum thinks it is because Tempest may not actually be helping Chester and is still waiting to make a move. Al thinks it is because I was there. He thinks they have plans for Earth and they will need me to make them happen. I agree with Al. I will leave my account there, Astra. Beyond traveling back to Earth, nothing of note happened during that part of the trip besides lots of questions asking for things we didn't have answers for. As promised, though, I have one more thing I want to say to you. It is time I become an apprentice. I think I have proven myself sufficiently. I do my own research. I am willing to meet any being and learn from them with an open mind. I am willing to protect those that need protecting. And I want to travel the stars. I would be a perfect student. Let's be real. Bert, Fred, and Hum have been preparing me for this. Let's stop stalling. I will await your answer not on Earth but on the Mantis homeworld. The beings from Sirius B have offered to give me a ride and wait with me until you arrive. I am not accepting no as an answer. I will see you soon. Opal. I think Opal and Al are right. Chester has greater plans for Opal, so I have decided to meet her. Tune in next week for another episode of the Star Jelly Files. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Jelly Files podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you are having a great day. The Star Jelly Files is written, produced, voice acted, and created by me, Elizabeth Hamblett. If you would like to support the podcast and gain access to bonus content, check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash starjellyfiles. The link is also in the description.